go ahead and take your Bibles and open them up with me to Luke 15. Luke 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 32 this morning. That's going to be our text, and the um, title of the day's message is really the same as it was last Sunday, and it's a title that's in reference to Jesus. This man, talking about Jesus, receives sinners. And this is part two of what we heard last week, as I shared with you. There are three parables mentioned in this chapter, but they're really all conveying the same message. Jesus is giving us a portrait of himself. I do want to read this text in its entirety before I preach through it. It is a little bit lengthy, but I do think that it's good for us to get our mind around the story of what we will be unpacking as we go through it this morning. And as we read it, you will see that the images themselves really preach a message without needing a whole lot of explanation. But what we want to do is find what, out what Jesus is saying, what Luke is conveying to us about our Savior as we go through this. So I want to ask you to stand one more time as we read God's Word. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Remember, Jesus is talking to the multitudes of people, specifically addressing the Pharisees, but speaking to all in general. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, he said, Dad, go ahead and give me my inheritance now. And he divided his property between the younger and the older. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still away, a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said no to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and 
and, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, well, your, your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, he said, look, look these many years that I've served you, I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to his son, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and, his fa and is found. Hear what the word of the Lord says. You may be seated. When we started this series in Luke, I told you there were essentially three things that Luke wants us to learn. Number one, he wants us to learn who Jesus is. And emphatically, as we go through the first part of Luke, we see that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so this is one thing Luke wants us to know. Secondly, Luke wants us to know how we can follow Jesus. How we can understand his life and how he lives so that we can learn from him so that we as disciples can live like our master. And thirdly, Luke wants us to know that we can have confidence in Christ. He wants us to know that we can be boldly assured of who God is and what God desires for his people. And we can trust in his promises. So these are essentially the things that we see. And it's really a beautiful picture. When we go through a narrative, we need to understand that what God is doing is he is showing us who he is with imagery. He's giving stories and parables that allow us to be able to relate to who God is. So he's not speaking uh, in abstract, impersonal terms as much as he is showing us and giving us this vision through these, through these narratives. Let me give you an example. Because I think a lot of times... We often try to explain God in subjective and abstract terms. Now, I'm going to give you something that's very beautifully written. It's by A.W. Tozer, and he is trying to communicate the love of God. But I want us to think about what I'm trying to communicate with you as we go through a narrative. 
Tozer says about the love of God, he said, because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. That's a beautiful way to describe the love of God, but if you think of it, it's very impersonal. And it's somewhat abstract as he is explaining. It's beautiful, but most people can't relate to what Tozer is saying. On the other hand, when we read Psalm 103, we read David and his description of God's love. And this is what David says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, this is very personable. This is very relatable, especially to those of us who are parents because we know how much we love our children. I would do anything for my kids. And so as a parent, as we think of God in those terms with a visual, with a way that's personable and relatable, we begin to understand, well, this is what Jesus is doing in this gospel. He is showing us relatable ways that we can understand God because it is apparent to us as we read that people have a very skewed view of who God is. He is speaking to a crowd of people and showing them his grace, showing them what his mercy looks like. And if you remember, this is a crowd with a mixture of people. There are sinners and bad sinners. Remember, there were the sinners and the tax collectors. And then on the other side, you had those who were the Pharisees. These were the pious religious people the self-righteous ones who were rebellious in their hearts, though outwardly in their flesh they were clean. The tax collectors and the sinners, they were the ones who were sinners in the flesh. They were even outwardly dirty. And so both were sinners. The self-righteous group was mad and they were complaining because Jesus was associating with and going and accompanying with these who they deemed as sinners and very bad sinners. He was eating with them, he was talking with them, he was receiving them to himself and showing kindness and grace and mercy to them and they simply did not get it because their view of God was skewed. They had a wrong picture of who God was and Jesus is trying to communicate to them. He is showing them that he is like a shepherd whenever one of his sheep is lost, will leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep or when a coin is lost, the prudent woman, when she realizes it will go because of its immense value and search frantically until she finds the coin. And then he gets here to a father who has a lost son And he is saying that he is like this father who when his rebellious son comes home, he runs to him, he embraces him, he kisses his son. But in this story, he shows us another son. This is an older son. And when he hears about the father celebrating, when he hears the celebration that is taking place over this son who has come home, he's angry. You see what Jesus is doing? He's reading himself into this story. 
And he is showing the Pharisees, you are like this older son. Because whenever we have this one who is lost, who is found, and a celebration begins, this older son is angry and just like you were angry because of me receiving sinners. So I pray that God would relate to us today as we, as we read this and get a picture of who God is ourselves. Start in verse 11 through 12. It says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. In just a brief statement, we learn that the younger son has had enough. He was tired of living under the rules and the restraints of his father. He wanted to be his own man. He wanted to be his own boss. He was tired of the list of chores when he came in. He was tired of being told what to do. Get out of bed, wash your clothes, clean your room, mow the yard, take out the trash, be home by 10, go to bed. He was tired of it. He had had enough of listening to daddy's rules. And don't forget, the older brother who never did anything wrong, why can't you be more like your brother? He'd had enough. This was not a story of a happy young son. He is disgruntled and he is fit to be tied with everything that's going on and he longs for a life without rules and boundaries. It shows us a rebellious nature. He wanted to come and go as he pleased. Life at home was claustrophobic. And he was young and in his youth, he couldn't stand the thought of receiving his inheritance later. He wanted it now. So he wants to go. He goes to the father and he says, Dad, essentially this is what he's saying. Dad, I don't want to wait around on you to die. I want what's coming to me now, and then I want to leave. Essentially, we can read through that, and we understand that he is saying to his dad, Dad, I wish that you were already dead. I wish you were already dead dead but the father is so gracious he takes the property and he begins to divide it up he doesn't get mad he just divides up the money and he gives half of the portion to the younger the other half to the older and the younger son stays a little while obviously it's property so he has to either sell it or do whatever he's got to do with it gets all of his loose ends tied up and then he walks away now you need to understand this story in the ears of an Eastern audience because when they hear what is actually being conveyed at this particular point, they are absolutely furious. What sort of son does such a thing? This was unheard of. And so they are getting probably a little angry as they are hearing this story because it's like, it's, again, it's a word picture. They're seeing this unfold in their minds. But they would also be confused because also in their minds, they would have been wondering what kind of father would actually honor this rebellious, wretched son's request. Confused, frustrated, 
And probably in their mind with that self-righteousness thinking, if that was my boy, I'd have slapped the hair off of his head when he said that to me. (laughs) That's how they probably felt. Not many days later, it goes on, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his inheritance, his property in reckless living. We can only surmise at this point exactly what the son did, but the story leads us to believe that the son went on a spending frenzy because that is what the word prodigal means. It means to lavishly spend, to become a spendthrift. I'm sure that this young boy, as soon as he got out from under the rules and regulations of home, he was ready to go and live it up. He went to another country because he didn't even want to identify with where he came from. He was looking for a new identity and probably started with a brand new wardrobe. He probably bought the best of the best clothes. In fact, I kind of begin to surmise about what this would look like in modern day times in our own context He probably went and purchased the best clothes that he could get, the most expensive. He probably went and found some Gucci, some Louis Vuitton. He probably found uh, some Armani and got a Rolex because he was going to impress. This is what you see in the text. He ended up with a whole crew of friends around him, people that he gathered around himself because they were attracted to his personality and to his money. No doubt he engaged in prostitutes. We read as the text unfolds that the word must have gotten back about his living to his home because the brother even accused him and told his father, don't you forget that this son of yours squandered his property on prostitutes. He was living it up. Prodigal life was great. Or was it? You know, we can only imagine, but again, the the text leaves us some room to surmise. He was having all this fun, doing all that he wanted, no rules, no restraints, nobody telling him what to do anymore. But I'm sure the thought of home occasionally in the loneliness of the night, in those few moments, he would think about home, remembering but it would be short-lived memories and he would just go back into his rebellion. But as life happens, a famine came and very soon there was no more money. Look at what it says, 14 through 16. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Where's his friends now? No one gave him anything. You got to remember, this was a Jewish setting. Jesus was speaking about a Jewish family, speaking about a Jewish son. And when Jesus tells them that this young boy was in another country, sells himself as a slave to be hired out to go work on a pig pen, or in a pig pen at a pig farm, this would have been insulting. Why? Because Jews had nothing to do with pigs. And so 
This was insulting to this crowd as they hear this story unfold. But we remember that just a few days earlier, a few months earlier, this young boy had friends, he had money, he had food, whatever he desired. Now he's at the lowest point in his life and he was so hungry. The way the scripture tells us about his hunger, he longed for the food that fell out of the pig's mouths. He wanted their leftovers. That's how hungry he was. And there was no one who had mercy on him. No one who was coming to his help. No one felt sorry for him. He was all alone. And even so, you get back into the context of this story and you think to yourselves, that crowd, those people who are hearing it, especially the Pharisees, they are thinking that boy is getting exactly what he deserves. That's exactly what he deserves. After what he put his daddy through, he's deserving everything he gets. Verse 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against Heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Brothers and sisters, I confess to you, I've preached this, uh, preached this text numerous times over the past 20 years. And I began to realize, realize something this time through that my view of what this means has changed. This is not him repenting. Because repentance doesn't require you to work off your debt. He's wanting to go back and work off his debt. So this isn't repentance. If anything, this is selfishness. This is him coming to a place in his life. Of course he's wanting to go back. Because nobody will have anything to do with him. He's in a pig pen for crying out loud. He's at the lowest point in his life. He has nowhere else to go. No one else to turn to. And so he begins to think, man, I could just go back and be a hired servant and live better than this. And so trying to capitalize upon his father's goodness, he goes back to work off his debt. If we look at it for what it says, again, I believe it's a really selfish scheme because in reality, he knows what he's done. He's embarrassed his father. He has shamed his family's name. He has dishonored those who he loved and who loved him. And the audacity to go back is nothing more than selfishness. So we need to remember something very key when we're reading this parable. Some of your headings, does, it, does some of your headings, look at the heading, does some of your headings say the prodigal son? That's a misnomer. Number one, there's two sons. It's not about just one. Number two, it's not even about the sons. It's about the father. It's about the father. It was not about the lost sheep and it was not about the lost coin. It was about the shepherd that went diligently seeking and the woman who went frantically seeking. And this is about a father who is redeeming. So we need to keep that in mind as the, what the emphasis is. The emphasis is on the response of the father. It does show us the degradation of the son, but the emphasis is on the response of the father. 
Again, I go back to the crowd, the Pharisees and the crowds, they are having no compassion whatsoever toward this younger son. In fact, what they are hoping at this point is that boy is going to walk back to his father's house. He's going to try to gravel at his father's feet and say, Father, just take me in as one of the hired servants. And they want to hear the father say, Son, you made your bed. Go live in it. Get off of my property. As far as I'm concerned, you are dead to me. Get out of my face. That's what they wanted this story to unfold. That was their hearts. And that was their view of God. God loves me because look at how good I am. Some people are deserving of hell, but not me. So he's revealing attitudes by showing us something about himself. Look at verse 20. It says, and he arose and he came to his father. Didn't return. He came But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know what this story shows us about the father? The father knows those who are his. He had an indelible mark ingrained in him of the form and the frame of his son, the silhouette of his son. He knew what his son looked like. If you're a parent, you understand that. You can pick out who belongs to you out of a crowd of a thousand people. We know exactly what our son, even from a long distance, we know who belongs to us. But it also shows us something else about this father, doesn't it? He was searching. He was looking. And he was able to see when his son was a long way off. His father got a picture of that silhouette and he said, that's my boy. And he did something here that would have caused the people in that crowd to to cringe because Jesus said in the story, the father began to run. Culturally, that was unacceptable in that day. That was undignified because they wore robes. Guess what they had to do to run? They had to cinch up their robes and they had to expose their legs. Jewish men did not do that. It was undignified. It would have been embarrassing to them. And understand what Jesus is doing. He's given them a picture of that. This is what the Father looks like. This is who the Father is. This is what the Father does for His. If that wasn't enough, this Father embraces the Son when He gets to Him and He kisses Him. And the word that is used there for kiss means that he repeatedly was kissing him just all over that boy. And you've got to remember, he just left the pig pen. Can you imagine the smell of pig feces and sweat from the long journey, the dirtiness and filth that was over this boy and that father was embracing him in all of his filth, loving the most degrading individual that culture could deem and he was lavishing his grace. If we understand the word prodigal to mean lavish, this is really the prodigal God, not the prodigal son because he is lavishing his love 
onto his son. The son tries to move forward with his scheme. He says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And the father cuts him off. The boy couldn't even finish his speech before he is calling for his servants. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Father doesn't say my son has returned. He said my son was dead and is alive He was lost, and now he is found. This is unrelented love and acceptance and redemption. The father is not rebuking the son as many in the crowd probably wish that he would. He is not refusing the son as many in the crowd probably wish that he would. He is redeeming the son. This was offensive And it still is offensive to many today. Repulsed because the son had done nothing to deserve his father's acceptance. He had done nothing to be redeemed. The father received him with no conditions. The son was deserving of the pig pen The son was deserving to be scolded by his father and turned away. But aren't you glad, brothers and sisters, that this is not who our God is? He does not give the boy what he deserved. He gave him what he didn't deserve. Mercy and grace. Notice something else. Everyone was called together for a party but the party was not for the son. You, you, we, we miss this. The people at the party were not celebrating because the boy had come home. They were probably angry with him too. They were celebrating him because the father declared that they celebrate. They were celebrating because the father is the one who had put the party together. They were celebrating because the father is the one who has received his son back. They're celebrating the father, not the son. You know, a lot of times I think in salvation we celebrate the wrong person. I've heard this and you've heard it too. Some of you probably even did it. Somebody gives their life to Christ. They find God's salvation. They receive God's salvation. And we go to them and we say, congratulations. For what? What did they do? Nothing. The celebration is always on the Father. It is His salvation. It is His redemption. It is His acceptance. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. It is His gift to give, not anything that we've done to deserve it or earn it. When we celebrate salvation, who are we celebrating? We are celebrating God's graciousness and his mercy. That is the celebration. Let's not forget, there's another brother. What is he doing? It says, now the older son was in the field. You know what the older brother was doing? He was working. Doing what a good son should do, just following the rules. 
It says, and he drew near to the house. He heard music there in verse 25. In 26, it says, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your younger brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Why did he kill the fatted calf? Because he received the son. Why was there celebration? Because he had received the son. Again, the celebration is not about the son who has come home. It's about the father who has received him back safe and sound. The younger son wanted to uh, come home and do what? Work. It's just one thing about salvation. You will never do enough to earn it. You will never do enough to deserve it. You can't work for a gift. You can't work for grace. That's not repentance. But the older son hears this and he is not happy. He was angry and he refused in verse 28 to go in. Notice something that the father does with the old son, older son that he did with the younger son. He went to him. He has to go to both sons, doesn't he? You see what Luke is showing us? The younger son is humbled by the father's mercy. The older son is angry because of the father's mercy. In both cases, the father has to go out and meet his son, but when he meets the older son, he's met with protests and complaints. He answered his father, he said, look, look at all the years I've served you. Look at what I've done. I'm the one who stayed. I did this and I did that. I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son, notice he doesn't say this brother of mine. He says, but when this son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Again, it's not about the son. The younger, the older brother's not mad because the younger brother has come home. He's mad because the father has received him. He's mad because he has received this one who has squandered away all the blessings of the father on prostitutes and reckless living in the flesh. And what the older son is doing is expressing his self-righteousness and his entitlement. Luke is showing us that while the older brother never left the farm, he had left the father. He didn't share the same heart as the father. The younger son was distant from the father through the sins of the flesh. The older brother is distant from the father through the sins of the heart. But it doesn't matter which way you slice it, sin is sin. And it is a front to God. On the outside, the elder son was not the bad son. He was considered the good man in the community. He was considered respectable and exemplary and obedient and hardworking. He was dependable, industrious and consistent. He was moral and had not given his father any trouble. Mark Twain said this, the elder son was a good man in the worst sense of the word. He was a good man in the worst sense of the word. Even though he was with the father, he did not share the heart of the father. As far as he was concerned, his brother was still dead. He didn't deserve anything. He was gone. He was unworthy of the father. 
The older brother believed that being good and working hard for the father is what entitled him, but it ultimately shows us that the older son was just as rebellious as the younger son because all he cared about was himself. Imagine, by the way, if you would, this is a little sanctified imagination as we read these narratives. Imagine if the older brother met the younger brother before the father. I believe it would go a little bit like this. So you've come back. Things didn't work out like you thought, huh? Too bad. Listen, little brother, you aren't welcome here. You broke your father's heart. You've disgraced us all. You've only come back because your money has run out. And if you still had some cash, you'd still be gone. At least have enough self-respect to come back when you've got a job and you've cleaned yourself up. I believe that's probably about how that conversation would go. You know, I got to thinking about it. Do you know why in Christianity that even the titles of our Bible are the prodigal son? I believe this is true. Because in many Christian circles today, it's a lot easier to focus on the son that doesn't remind us of who we are. It's a lot better to focus on the son that doesn't look like me. I've not done all those things. I've not been all that bad. I've been pretty good. Not in jail, making good decisions, went to college, got a degree, make good money, do good by providing for my family, go to church, give, pray, do all the right things. Never been that bad. As time passes, religious people begin to imagine that they are good people because we've avoided the sins of the flesh. But the whole time, the sins of the heart are running rampant with jealousy and pride and judgmentalism. Remember, being critical, judgmental, and unloving is as much a sin as prostitution, drugs, and murder. Some sins just look more respectable than others. And we best be careful. Listen to what the father says. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All this time, you've had me. All that is mine is yours. You, you don't need me to give you a fatted calf. It's yours. Uh, well, what more do you want? It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Is being with me not enough? You know what it really shows us? Both of the sons were just interested in the blessings of the father, but not really the father himself. Wasn't it enough? Wasn't I enough? You, you didn't need me to kill the fatted calf to celebrate. Everything I have is yours. The very thing that will humble one person will harden another. And the story ends with the elder son angry over the grace and mercy of the father. 
You can only imagine. Again, go back in the text. Look at the context. The religious people in the crowd, they're fuming because Jesus is receiving sinners and tax collectors. How dare he? He's supposed to be a a, a prophet. Uh, He is receiving all of these people who are a drag on our culture and on the good name of God. How dare Jesus receive sinners like this? Jesus is making the point that he is the good shepherd going in search of the lost sheep and when he finds it, he throws a party. He is telling them a story that he is the prudent woman who frantically searches for the lost coin because of the immense value that she has placed on it. And when she finds it, she throws a party. And he is the loving father who whenever he sees and goes after his rebellious son, he redeems him and he throws a party. This is who I am. What it's showing us is they are angry at the thing that pleases the Father. They are angry at the thing that pleases God. He lavishes his mercy and grace on those whom he loves and on those whom he values. And God not only receives and restores sinners, he humiliates himself in the process. He is the one who runs after the lost son and when he reaches the son in all of his filth, he embraces him, he kisses him all over. He says, hey, bring the family robe and bring the family ring and put it on him because I am identifying my son with me and my son is not gonna be a servant and go around without shoes. You bring shoes and you Put it on my boy because I am lavishing my grace on him. No, he doesn't deserve it and he hasn't done one thing to earn it, but that is who I am as a loving father. I love my children and I lavish myself. What did Christ do? He went on the cross and he bore the shame. He bore the shame of sin and the guilt of sin on the cross Exposed, fully exposed when Jesus was on the cross, reduced to absolute humiliation. But from humiliation to exaltation, our Christ has risen. And he is to be exalted. And he is to be honored as such today. And it is time to celebrate what the Father has done. We celebrate the Father. But here's the thing, not only has Jesus done that, he says, I'm calling my church to go out and I'm go- calling them to go out and to share that gospel. I'm, going to sh- I'm calling them to go out and to share that love with sinners and bad sinners, with all people, go out. But just know this, the very gospel that will humble some will be the same gospel that will harden others. There will be those who feel pious, they feel good about themselves, they feel like they've done enough to earn some favor with God, to earn some right with Him. They are entitled to being saved. You ask most people if they believe that they're a good person, they would say, yes, for the most part, I'm a good person. What do you think will happen when you die? I think that God's going to take all that I've done into account, and I think when you weigh it out, I've been a lot better than I've been bad. I think I'm really good. There's just one problem with that. That's not grace. And the only way that you'll ever be received by the Father is not by any good thing you've done, but only by His prodigal grace that He lavishes 
I'm so thankful. That's who my father is. And I want other people to know that gospel. And we should remember the one. Remember the name? Who was the one you named last week? Don't forget them. Tell them and tell another one and then tell another one and tell another one. Tell them the good news of Jesus. Show them who the Father is. Some will be hardened. The way the story ends is that the older son was just angry. And that's how it's left. Some will not receive. But then there will be those who are like the younger son who will be redeemed. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have called us into this work, this work of the gospel, by showing us who you are, by showing us what you do. But Lord, I pray that in this story, we would also recognize the sins of our own hearts. And that Lord, if there are any here today who are thinking themselves to be entitled to something of yours because of some good thing they've done, I pray, Lord, that they would be humbled by the very thing that they are Uh, keep uh, holding on to for their salvation that they would relinquish that as sin and that they would receive your grace they would accept who you are as God and what you've done and what you've accomplished in redemption and providing your great salvation Lord if there are any here today I pray that you would deal with their hearts right now to know that they will never be able to work their way to heaven they will never be able to be earned into the, or earn their way into the family of God. But only by being received and redeemed by your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that today if there's someone here with the conviction of God in their life, that they would just allow your grace to fall on them and that they would receive that gift. And God, be with our hearts that we would not be self-righteous and pious, that we would not be judgmental and critical and have sins of the heart, thinking that we are something when we are nothing. God, humble us. Help us to love sinners and bad sinners. Help us to not be prejudiced on who we'll share the gospel with. To share the gospel with all. Lord, God, help your church today to be filled with gospel-bearing lovers of God and to go to the world and tell others about Jesus. May you get glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.